0: Hey Green Future Growers! Welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Byer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Hey everyone! This is Jackie Marie Byer, your host, here to help inspire you on your journey to create, grow, and enjoy a green, organic oasis. So let's get growing. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden Podcast. It is Friday, May 28, 2021, and I have one of the best guests I think we're going to hear from online. She has written this book called Weed Mom, The Canna Curious Woman's Guide to Healthier Relaxation, Happier Panning, and Chilling TF Out uh welcome to the show Danielle Simone Brand I'm so excited to talk to you this book is so awesome
1: oh so, thank you so much
0: show. well thank you. I, I mean I just love it you sent me this pre-ordered copy to review and it starts out with this amazing story I mean you really like have a wealth of research if anybody's read Um, Jack Harris, The Emperor's Wears New Clothes. This is like so much better, so much more in depth. It's, you know, 2021. So it's got tons of um, modern research. What's going on in our country, which is insane. What's going on in our country? I mean, I was just Mm -hmm. in New York and like every day there was a let, you know, an article in the New York Times. There were letters to the editor of my mom's little like local paper because they're going through these decisions right now and worried about what's going to happen to the kids and this and that, which I think is so funny because the day I entered middle school in that very same town from that mm-hmm. day forward, I knew where to get a bag of weed anytime I wanted one. It was so much easier to access <laughs> than alcohol. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, it's just been a, a crazy ride from there. So, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to mute my mic literally and go (laughs) ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: All right. All right. Well, I'm thrilled to be here with you, Jackie. Um, my name is Danielle Simone Brand, and um, I'm an author, a journalist. Um, I was writing about, I found myself writing about cannabis kind of accidentally, really falling into it, just accepting assignments because it was a hot topic before I really knew much about it. And then I was also writing a lot about parenting, um, something that I had a lot of, you know, I had, you I had I was in the thick of with my little, little ones at the time, they're eight and 11. So I'm still in the thick of it, but not, you know, not the same as it was in those early, early years. So anyway, I was writing about cannabis, writing about parenting. And um, then occasionally, I would write about these two things together. Um, You know, I'd be asked to write how to talk to kids about cannabis, or what should you consider if you're a parent who consumes things like that. And, um, you know, and then as I became sort of you know, more well-versed in cannabis from an academic or, you know, just like from a journalistic perspective, I became interested in experimenting with it. Um, And it was something that, you know, I had tried at some points in college and, you know, had 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 some experience, but really it wasn't my thing. It wasn't my go-to. I didn't understand weed at all. (laughs) You know, weed, cannabis, you know, we can call it by all sorts of names. Um, I totally get it. Yeah. right. So, you know, so I I decided, you know what, I'm going to experiment with legal cannabis. And what I found in the legal marketplace was so many more options that appealed to me, Um, you know, as a mother in my late thirties at the time, you know, very busy, you know, with my professional and my personal life, you know, I didn't have time to, you know, or the inclination to, you know, take a lots, lots of bong rips and then sit on the couch forever. <laughs> you know, what I needed from cannabis <laughs> was something very different. I needed, you know, to sleep better, to feel better, to, you know, parent at my best and, you know, perform my best in my work. And I found that cannabis actually really supported that. And um, it was just a short jaunt from there down cannabis lane, as I like to say, and I became a full on weed lover. <laughs> so that's in a nutshell, sort of a little, a little bit about me.
0: Well, and something I noticed when I was just visiting in New York is, like, how short everybody's tempers are. And, like, I just I just feel like it, like a lot of things in your book you talked about, like, taking the edge off. And, like, I also, like, when I was there at Barnes & Noble, picked up this magazine called Women in Weed. And I, I feel like Kristen Bell kind of wraps it up, like, says it the best. Like, she got into it because she was driving home from you know, a really stressful shoot one day, and instead of, like, just stressing over her to do this and all this stuff, she found herself just bouncing to the music and enjoying the drive home and not, like, and it it just, like, seems so much more apropos to me, like, when I was in New York, like, how... And, and I've been like super, like, I feel sorry for my husband having to put up with me home because I <laughs> ended up working from home the last year. Um, I took some podcasting jobs and some virtual assistant jobs, and I've been tutoring mm-hmm. online and just doing little bits here and there. And it's just, uh, I think him and the cats are like, when are you going back to work? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, yeah, so. this has been a tough year for, you know, for just all that unexpected, you know, proximity and closeness with families. And you're right. I think that people's, you know, people's, people's tempers are fairly short. People's fuses are fairly short. I mean, studies show that, you know, surveys have shown that people's consumption of alcohol has gone way up during the pandemic, you know, as a coping yeah. mechanism, and, and then, you know, but also cannabis.
0: <laughs> and, but what you talk about, and like, I've certainly seen in in person and experiences with people is that like when you drink alcohol, like you're like done for the day, or like you're like you're just like you lose. I mean, look at how many women, like you know, either get date raped or like you know how many bad consequences happen in college. How many people do I know got like alcohol poisoning from partying too hard and like going to the bar and just like what it does to your body and what it does to your mind. Whereas, like you know, there's so many options with cannabis to have a much lower buzz and just, you know, you talk about how it gave you more patience with your kids to be a better parent, and I just think people don't even realize that. Wow, maybe this could be a better option than, you know, the and to say
1: nothing of all the points that alcohol has in Weight Watchers. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, when when you really look into it, it's pretty. It's pretty shocking how different alcohol and cannabis are physiologically and how, you know, the the health consequences of drinking alcohol, even moderately for a lot of people really don't add up, you know, and for some people they can enjoy, you know, enjoy moderate alcohol use and it's great for them and it doesn't cause them negative effects. That's fine. I have no, no problem with that. But I found, and then I also, you know, for myself and with many women I interviewed in the book that you know even moderate alcohol use comes along with all sorts of unwanted effects I and mean, you mentioned the you know the points the calorie piece of it and the sugar cravings that often happen with alcohol and headaches i get headaches i have migraines um and alcohol really worsens them um you know feeling bad the next day obviously even again with moderate use a lot of people just feel you know junk the next day after drinking and cannabis like you were saying it has you know, so many more possibilities of you know, micro dosing or even using parts of the cannabis plant like CBD that aren't psychoactive, that aren't you know gonna cause you to feel altered or high in any way. Um, you know so there's just a lot of options that we have and you're right. I mean it helps it helps in many ways. And I found that many women that I interviewed for the book are using it in some ways medicinally, medically and in some ways for recreation. and then there's this like crossover between the two, this wellness this wide space in between medical use and recreational use, which I find fascinating, you know? And I feel
0: like one of the keys you said was um, you, uh, you were experimenting in the legal marketplace and that's where a lot of these solutions are coming up and people, I feel like are really like, and a lot of these letters to the editor that I was seeing in my mom's paper was like, you know, do we want to have a shop downtown where the kids are going to see? And it's like, hello, go into a grocery store and like, or, a you know, a convenience store here, which I was so shocked. I worked in this convenience store one summer, how much cheaper it is to buy booze and alcohol in a convenience store in Montana Like, usually in New York, it's the opposite. It's more high-priced because they're open 24-7. But in Montana, it's actually the cheaper place. So tons of people were coming in on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, going to the Lakewood Kids, picking up all the snacks and the picnic basket treats and buying, you know, a a 12-pack of beer. Or, like, I got hooked on Mike's Lemonades working that summer there because I was (laughs) like, what are all these twisted iced teas? And, like, parents are, you know here's my kid's juice and here's the soda pop. And here's the kid. Like you want to talk about a gateway drug, you know, there's like 27 signs for Budweiser between the town pump at the beginning of town where I live here in Montana and the, you know, last bar headed out of town or the, you know, four corners, of the last restaurant at the other end, of, you know, this two mile stretch of town, how many, you know, and meanwhile they're worried about their kids you know, having one maybe dispensary downtown and, and, you know, maybe that's a better option more learning. Like we're seeing, like, I read this book Safer a long time ago. Why are we, I can't remember what it's called, something about like, you know, why are we, if marijuana is safer, why are we driving people to drink? You know, all about like college kids losing their scholarships, losing their financial aid when, it's, like, written by these cops in San Francisco and, like, talking about the same thing you're saying, that it, it's it's possibly a better alternative. And on the legal market, no less, that they're, they're coming out because I think on the non-legal market, they drove everybody into the closet. So people were coming up with, like, the most potent possible buds they could because... You know, you wanted to grow it in the smallest space possible. Anyway.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, that's that's a really interesting point about the high THC content, actually. I mean, I I can talk about that a bit if you're interested.
0: Yeah, sure. And the legal market. Are you in Colorado? Is that where you're at?
1: (laughs) No, I am, strangely (laughs) enough. So I started writing about cannabis while living in California and San Diego, and then we moved to Boise, Idaho. So I live in a non-legal state now. (laughs) And um, it's, yeah, it's kind of strange being a, a cannabis writer living in a non-legal state. But, you know, I have to say things are changing and it's, you know, it's an open secret that people in Idaho enjoy cannabis because uh, we're surrounded by legal states, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, you know, now Montana, right? You're going to be um, a legal yeah, ed- We've recreation had recreational
0: sale. use since like 2004, I want to say. And I know there was a huge thing in Montana in two thousand eight. They had all these like caravans going around, and they're having like all these big fairs and getting doctors and patients connected. And the price of legal marijuana, like the the medicinal marijuana, like dropped like plummeted. Like the a lot of the drug people who were like selling on the black market, like went out of business because. was like overnight people were like oh I have my green card now and all of a sudden they were able to buy much cheaper higher quality marijuana on the legal market with their little green card so all these people that are worried oh people are still going to buy from they're not going to pay this tax well it seemed like that that problem like I don't think that's going to be a problem because I think the regulated market makes the price drop for some reason but there wasn't there a weird thing about in idaho like there was a big truckload full of hemp plants that got stopped or i don't know yes
1: yes that was in um 2019 um and yeah there were uh you know under the federal legal limit, 0.3% THC, you know, or less, that's considered hemp, and it's legal to grow and to, you know, move across states and all that, and you know, and to sell. Um, Yeah, that uh, shipment was stopped in Idaho because, you know, it it actually, you know, law enforcement does have a hard time keeping up in a sense with, you know, how, how much we're learning about the cannabis plant, you know, now we know so much more about the compounds in cannabis and that, you know, THC is the main psychoactive compound, although there are others that are, you know, minor cannabinoids, we would say that are also psychoactive and CBD is the major non-psychoactive cannabinoid that we find in cannabis, but, you know, they have a hard time differentiating that, you know, they don't necessarily know they see hemp plants that smell and look like marijuana. (laughs) And so they have a hard time, uh, you know, differentiating and knowing, you know, which, which shipments. And, and, but, you know, ultimately I'm pretty sure that that case got resolved, but it was, it was, it made national news that's for sure
2: well and let me tell you and listeners. sorry you one want...
1: moment my dog sorry just one moment my dog is being oh, annoying so I'll let you talk and mute myself
0: uh one thing listeners about Danielle's book is if you have any questions about any of this stuff she goes into in depth like this is such a encyclopedia of like you know what's the difference between um you know buds and flowers and the different cbds or the different cannabinoids and you know um just anything you could possibly want to know using cannabis for anxiety using cannabis for cramps using cannabis for stress using cannabis for mood using cannabis for pain for libido for painful sex for wellness and fun <laughs> before you go shopping yeah. a dispensary checklist like bedtime the witching (laughs) it's just like there's so much information in here like it is such an encyclopedia and wealth of it's the kind of book you're going to want to own and um and and highlight and go back to and like when you know when you have a question about this or a question about that you know there's somebody in your life if it's not for you I'll bet you there's somebody in your life that's going to want this book if not like every woman you know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I totally appreciate. mean it. It is that. so and awesome. I it? I just can't even like. I've read <laughs> so many garden books this winter. People, publishers have been sending to me like crazy, but this one just really um, answers so many questions. And 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 it it it's it's such a hot topic right now. People are wondering. You know, do I support this? Do I want, you know, how am I going to vote? That's the big, in New York, they have to decide if they're opting in or out by uh, each county by county by December 2021. So, like I said, -hmm. it's, it's in the paper, it's in the news, so.
1: Absolutely. It is a topic of national discussion, I think, now, and, you know, it's only going to become more so, I think, in the next few years. Just today, um, the Moore Act was reintroduced in the House, which is a legalization bill, um, and it, it was passed by the House in December of last year, um, but, you know, was it just, it died in the Senate, um, but it's been reintroduced with, I think, a few tweaks, And, um, you know, it could really go a long way. I mean, legalization is about so many things and so many, you know, rightings, so many wrongs, I think. And a huge one of those, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention just the the, the racism of the drug war and the fact that, you know, people of color are disproportionately affected by um, cannabis prohibition. And, you know, it's been something that's really devastated uh, communities of color and Um, you know, the MORE Act is something that could really help. It talks about expungement for nonviolent cannabis offenses. Um, You know, for many, many young people, especially young people of color, one cannabis offense can really change their lives and alter their ability to get a job and get a place to live. And, you know, that isn't right, given that people are making money off of this. It's legal in, in, you know, so many places. I think 49%, something like that, of the American population now has uh, lives in a state with with recreational, not just medical, but recreational cannabis access. So, anyway, things are changing quickly, and they're going to keep changing. I think, um, you know, and and you also mentioned Jackie a little while ago the, the whole you know alcohol culture that's just really normalized, right? You know, parents coming to pick up their hard lemonade on the way out to the lake or whatever, and you know that's the thing. Alcohol is normalized in our culture as like, you know, it's a mind altering substance, we all know that. But we understand that, you know, yes, some people have a problem with it. But you know, the majority of people can use it, you know, responsibly or somewhat responsibly, let's say. you know, but cannabis is not normalized. Absolutely. There's a stigma, there's a fear, there's just lack of education about, you know, really what it is and how to, how to use it properly. And that is why I wrote the book because, you know, so many people don't really know, and I don't want folks trying legal cannabis and having a bad experience the first time and saying, oh, I don't like that at all. Because, you know, I know it to be very complex, varied, and, you know, to really like have so many different applications. Um, so, you know, again, that's why I wrote this book just to be, to to really introduce people, like hold their hand and take them through the legal marketplace. It's so different from, you know, the quote unquote black market or the legacy market that most people, if they have any experience with cannabis, you know, previous that, that was it. Um, yeah. So I can even go into more about THC percentages if you want, or, or we can move on
0: um i could talk about this like all day longer especially like the people of color thing you know and the systematic racism because we have like you know especially i've been listening to hillary clinton's podcast and you know like back in the early 80s like you know it was so the drug war started out you know so many people are arrested you're absolutely right about the whole um, you know, as a white person, and I'm right now reading "Me and White Supremacy," and like, you know, one thing I realize is it's huge the difference between a white person's relationship with cannabis compared to a person of color's relationship of with cannabis. And like, you know, how many they say way more white people smoke it or use it. But yet the majority of people in jail are people of color and like, and how it affected like their, their lives growing up and their school systems and, you know, how many fathers are in their homes and, you know, the prison pipeline, like, it's just absolutely, we need to correct that, I think. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up. But do you want to talk about like what is it like? Like, if you were going to hold somebody's hand, like if their only experience had been like negative, or th- maybe they tried it in college, were like, oh my gosh, I got paranoid or I got a headache, or like, how would you hold somebody's hand today and walk them through the legal market?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I mean, there, there are actually people whose job it is now to do that. And I find that so fun. Like, you know, there are cannabis concierges and, you know, various, you know, nurses, even who have gotten extra education in cannabis and, and help people through that. But, you know, just as a as a friend, what I would do, you know, and I wrote about this in the book, but I can't give individual advice because I'm not a practitioner. But, you know, generally speaking, I would ask people, well, what are you looking for? How do you want to feel? Um Know because there's, like I said, a a wide spectrum of experience you can have with cannabis. If someone says, um, I want to you know relax a little bit, but I don't want to feel altered or high, then I would point them towards CBD or maybe you know a product that has a lot of CBD and just a tiny bit of THC. There's something called the entourage effect in cannabis, which means that even you know, even something like CBD, which is not going to affect your, your perception, um, you know, doesn't get you high. Um, it, it's going to be more effective if it has just a tiny bit of THC in it. Not enough to get you high, but enough to sort of activate both substances. Um, you know, so it's a plant, right? And plant compounds are complex. And what we know about other plant medicines is that, you know, there can be many different compounds that are interacting. And so, you know, I'm definitely a believer in whole plant medicine and you want to, you know, not just use CBD all by itself. But anyway, so That's one direction I could point people toward. Um, Another would be, you know, to try like a a low dose edible that has some THC in it. And I really push, you know, low and slow in my book, because like I said, I don't want people having a bad first experience with cannabis or first, you know, experience with legal cannabis. Um, And so I talk about microdosing a lot and that would mean you know for an edible maybe even only one milligram of thc maybe two and a half milligrams maybe five you know somewhere in that range for a first time you know low if you're nervous and sensitive you know higher like five milligrams if you've had some previous experience and you're ready for you know for trying something new but you know there are really incremental ways to get into cannabis now that you know we didn't have before because of the legal marketplace we have you know, not just bud or flower to smoke, but we have, you know, tinctures and pills and capsules and sprays and topicals and edibles, of course, and drinkables. Um, and everything is precisely labeled, so we know how many milligrams of THC. If it's an edible, we know the percentage of THC. If it's, you know, an inhalable, because that's not measured in milligrams, that's measured in percentage. Um, and you know, so we just can get so much information about what we're consuming now, and just curate, I think, a better experience for ourselves. Um, and that's something that I, I really appreciate about the legal marketplace is just options and you know, information.
0: And I think that's like that's one of the biggest keys that I love about your book because to me edibles are the scariest part because you know that's what I've read the most like the things that I've read about like Colorado and Washington doing a lot of research about this is that like the biggest number of people their their emergency room visits are up because people are overdosing on these edibles and and I think that was more when they first legalized, you know, like, in 10 years, a lot of things have changed. But I think when it first, like, it was such a wild west, and people were like, eating, you know, entire cookie or something and getting like super blotto. And, and to me, edibles are more scary, but like, who didn't smoke a joint in college, and it was like, no big deal, you know, so like, smoking a joint wouldn't be as scary to me today as like, eating an edible would be. So, it's been like it's just been such an eye-opener for me since I did this interview with Terry Keaton from the Rodale Institute two years ago I was just like what's going on in our world like I had no idea any of this cannabis like when I started my podcast in 2015 I could not find a medical marijuana grower to come on on 420 day and like I I can't believe how much things have changed and how much I've learned and how much I have no idea like I read this woman, Heather Cabot's book called The New Marijuana, yeah. which is all about like, there, there's alcoholic drinks that like, I I mean, I cannot believe what like is going on around me that I don't even, I'm not aware of. And just, um yeah. The other thing I want to make sure we talk about, like, I love your Instagram feed and like how you talk about how to talk to your kids about um, you know, marijuana and cannabis, because that I feel like is a big taboo. Do you want to talk about that at all?
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm happy to. Um, well, you know, so I included that as a chapter in the book because I felt, you know, it's really important, especially since I'm gearing the book toward moms, it's called weed mom. Right. Um, you know, and, and so communicating, you know, responsible message about cannabis is really, really important. Um, and the, the real basics of it, the broad outlines that I think are important to tell kids about cannabis and, you know, different age appropriate ways, different levels of complexity, depending on their ages, of course, but basically it's a plant, you know, it grows in the ground. And if, you know, if, if someone is a cannabis enthusiast and they want to actually show their child, the plant, you know, there's nothing wrong. You can't get high from touching, you know, a growing cannabis or hemp plant. There's nothing, you know, dangerous about that at all. So anyway, show show them it's a plant. It grows in the ground, and um, you know some adults use it for medicine, and some adults use it for recreation or you know to have fun to relax, you know whatever. Or instead of drinking a beer, um, and but it, that it's not good for developing brains. And you know the science is not a hundred percent on that yet, but it is pointing toward. Um, cannabis use, especially heavy THC use before the age of 25 is just not a good idea. You know, the frontal lobe is not fully developed yet. And, um, you know, doing things that affect the endocannabinoid system, and that's where cannabis interacts with our bodies through our endocannabinoid system, is just probably not a great idea um, in those times. So I definitely emphasize to my kids, this is not for you know it's not for you but there are parts of the plant we could use for you like cbd topically is really helpful my kids get bruises and you know bumps and things like that um so you know anyway those are the broad strokes and then i would say you know when you're old enough or if you're if your friends for instance start talking about cannabis or start experimenting come to me talk to me because i will give you real information and there's you know there is cannabis stuff There are cannabis products out there that would be really harmful if you tried them early, so I want to be that you know I want to be there to counsel you and talk you through this process as you're coming of age and experimenting as as people do. (laughs) So those are the broad strokes, but again it's you know does vary based on how old they are and I have a a chapter kind of detailing the message that you would you could take at different stages.
0: And then do you want to talk about like how you feel like, because don't you talk a lot in the book about how you feel like in a lot of ways it's made you a better parent. It's made you more patient. It's made you enjoy, you know, reading the bedtime book that you've read a hundred zillion times over and over to your child and just cuddling up or enjoying bath time more. And just like some of the more challenging parts, especially during this pandemic. And like you said, in the beginning, you know, there's a huge increase in the amount of alcohol, especially women we've consumed. Like I've definitely one thing I found out is like apparently I have these giant wine glasses. Like I'm dying, my mom's shipping me back these smaller wine glasses that I just fell in love with at her house. Every time we go there, she's like, What do you want? You know, when you're gonna hear it? like she she literally wanted me to go around the house and like put labels on things that you know, and she's like, I'm going to get, start getting rid of some of this stuff. You know, what do you want? What do you not want? And like, I picked out these wine glasses I really wanted, but also because they're smaller, because yeah, there's a huge problem with, I think. Yeah. I forgot where yeah. I was going with that. But yeah, do you want to talk about like being a better parent?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I mean, I tread lightly there simply because I don't want anybody anybody thinking that, you know, I need cannabis just to handle my kids or anything like that. I don't feel that way at all. But I do feel like, you know, in the low stakes parenting moments, and I talk about that in the book, like, you know, times when our goal is just to connect, like, you know, we're reading bedtime stories or, you know, my daughter and I are gardening together because we do that and we enjoy it. Um, You know, in some of those moments, cannabis helps me slow down. It just helps me be more present. And it's a microdose that I would use then, not a heavy dose. Um, But it's about, you know, cannabis, it really does help me be more mindful. It helps me notice my body more and be more, you know, appreciative of natural beauty. So it goes really great with gardening, really great with hiking, um, or, you know, just walking around our neighborhood, things like that. But, you know, it's about this microdose. And it you know, it, it shifts my perception just enough that I feel more in tune with my kids. That I feel like we have better conversations. I listen to them better um, because I'm not so preoccupied with my to-do list and you know the stresses of being an adult. <laughs> um, you know, and all the things that I have to think about and worry about on a daily basis. Um, you know, and it's. But I should also say that um, I consciously use cannabis for that reason. I I tell myself. I'm using cannabis right now. I'm consuming cannabis right now to shift my perception, my awareness, my mode from like work brain to family brain or work brain to, you know, cooking dinner brain or whatever it is. Um, And so, you know, I don't think that just habitually leaning into cannabis all the time is helpful, but I do think that if we intentionally use it, it can shift our mood and help us just be more present and have more fun.
0: Yeah. I knew, I knew lots of people in, in college that were like way more studious than I was that would actually get stoned when they were like writing papers. I remember being, I watched them and I'd be like, I can't believe you're doing that. And then they would like, and they got way better grades than I did on certain things. And I, I definitely think there's a lot to be said for like being more present, slowing down, being more focused for people so um yeah
1: you know I think
0: as long as you're mindful of it like you said like consciously intentionally like paying attention to what you're doing um again it could just be a, a better alternative for people and I'm so glad you're willing to share this with my audience like I'm sure lots of them are like wow I had no idea maybe they're gonna research it more and they're gonna you know, check into some other options that maybe will help them live a better life.
1: I hope so. And
0: maybe not. I'm sure it's not for everybody. Just like, you know, my dad loved martinis. I don't want to have anything to do with a martini. Or some people love to, you know, take herbal tinctures. And I'm, you know well i do i do enjoy those ones that flower revolution woman sent me but like i you know like i just feel like different things work for different people and this should be an outlet that people should have a chance to explore and especially if the legal market is opening up all these options for people that like again like i said i i just can't even believe this whole world that's going on around me that i had no idea um
1: Anyway. Yeah, it is it, it is evolving rapidly. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, a joke in the cannabis industry that um, one year equals seven years, you know, sort of like dog years in the sense that, um, you know, things are changing so rapidly. The, you know, regulatory environment is changing, the, you know, legal environment, obviously, in terms of, you know, more and more states coming on board with both medical and, you know, and recreational cannabis, you know, just it's, It's something that is evolving quite quickly and also our understanding of cannabis you know from research which was really severely restricted for so many years under prohibition um you know now uh, more researchers are getting access to higher quality cannabis to do their research Um, i mean that's a whole nother story like for a long time anyone who wanted any doctor or a researcher who wanted to study cannabis in the us and get fda approval had to source their cannabis from one farm um, and I think it was in Mississippi. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Mississippi. And everyone who did that research complained that that cannabis was very poor quality, <laughs> that they weren't growing, you know, quality um, cannabis with, you know, a good profile of cannabinoids and terpenes and, you know, phenols and, and all, all sorts of other things that cannabis has. It was just really low quality cannabis that they had to do their research on. And, um, you know, and the research itself was really quite limited and stunted, as I said. So anyway, we're learning more now, things are opening up, um, you know, now there's the ability to source cannabis for studies, you know, from other, other places. So, you know, they're just, yeah, we're changing, we're evolving, and it's going to continue that way, I think, for a while.
0: But again i'm gonna send you guys back to her
1: because it is such
0: a wealth of information i mean you have every beyond getting you know um things like how to deal with uh what, what was i just looking at here crows and cons of vapors, uh edibles topicals um using but what was the thing i was seeing about like if you over, you know, take too much, like how to calm down, like yeah. how to, things with like psychosis and different, um, what to do if you get too high. I've had women definitely tell me about that problem. Like, what do I do if I, or, or, um, you know, they tried it and, and didn't like it. Like you've got things like take a walk or watch a comedy, go to sleep, take a shower, you know, I'll try aromatherapy, drink some lemon water. Uh, and then you talk about mental issues from overuse, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, biopsycho, like different things, you know, positive, negatives. Like you cover everything in depth. You have really studied this plant from benefits to, f- which, you know, considering the research and lack of research like you have, um, and then you have, like, you know, sources of places you can go to get more information. Like, you have great notes in your appendix. And um, it's just amazing how in depth this book really is, and just what you can do to help answer the questions that, like, I just feel like people have asked me, especially in the last six months in Montana. Just, I don't know, I just feel like everywhere. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how many conversations. I had in New York mm-hmm. about it in just the last two weeks, mostly because it was, like I said, in the paper every day. <sighs> yes, yes. Crazy mm-hmm. where it's like blowing up and these giant, you know, that's another thing that's always bothered me about the Washington and Colorado thing. Like, from an environmental perspective, I hate to see these giant grows. Like, yes. at, from a gardener's perspective, I feel like people should be able to just grow it in their own backyard.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is so important. So every time, you know, a new state comes on board with legalization, that is one of the first things I look at is is home grow allowed, because it's, it's, it's fundamental to me, you know, I mean, just from a purely philosophical point of view, like this is a plant that grows in the ground, anyone should be able to grow it for their own, you know, medicinal use, or, you know, or recreational use, if they so choose to do so responsibly. Um and yes, there it varies widely. There are states that allow home grow but don't allow sales yet. <laughs> and Vermont, for instance, is one of those. DC um is, you know, the District of Columbia um is that way so far. But you know, retail frameworks are going to be set up there eventually.
0: Well, yeah, and we're like that. Like you can possess an ounce, but where do you get that ounce? Like can you buy it? Can you sell it? You can't sell it, you know, if yeah, you can't it, grow right? your own. I think in Montana, at least we can grow own, But like I was saying, in New York, you can't even grow for medicinal use, I guess. Like, it just seems crazy to me. And like, I'm so curious. Like, I was reading this one article. I was like, asking my brother. I'm like, wait they're saying that you can just buy these gummies and hop on the Long Island railroad and like eat a gummy or two on your way home like what's that all about and he was like i don't know <laughs> and i was like like i was just so curious about all these different things that i again like i said i know nothing about i'm so surprised
1: there yeah and there are so many great areas right now you alluded to you know someone could pick up a you know, a package of gummies and take it on the way home, you know, we don't, we don't really have a total framework for what is, you know, like how we're using cannabis, how we're consuming, you know, some places are going to have some consumption lounges where it's okay to consume on site in some states, you know, you may only consume cannabis in places where you can smoke. And that would mean like basically your own home or your own property. you know, so it's, yeah, it depends. It varies. It's a very interesting moment in cannabis for all of those reasons. I know. Right? Like that was
0: another thing I read about in Maine. You have to be over 21 to be around the plants. And if you, if you're growing the plants in Maine, like it, you, people can't be able to see it from the road, like there were all these crazy rules and the permit prices were like, you know, between like five and fifteen thousand dollars. Like that's the only thing that drives me crazy in Montana. Like to grow hemp. It's like a four hundred I was all excited. I'm like, I'm gonna grow hemp seeds last spring. And I like is after I talked to that Cherokee. And then I was like, what? Four hundred dollars for a permit plus price per plant. And just there were so many obstacles. Like I was like, I you know, I still haven't grown a hemp plant because to say nothing of there's four Canadian companies I think you can even buy the seeds from like you can't even buy hemp seeds in Montana or from like your low you know you can't go to Johnny's and say I want some hemp seeds to grow for the protein oil which is you know supposed to be so good for our brains or for animal feed you know like what other book have I been reading about the horrors of um you know, corn and soybean for animal feed. Oh, I'm reading Jane Fonda's book, What Can We Do? And how, you know, they encourage people to give up meat because, um, you know, the the feed for the consumption of meat industry, like they're cutting down the rainforest to grow the corn and the soybeans, to feed the cows, to feed the humans. Like, maybe I could go back to eating meat. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons i haven't eaten meat in so long is because and i used to love it like steak was like my favorite dinner for my birthday at london broil was um mm-hmm. you know how much water goes into growing the food to feed the cow to yes you know is it's just so bad for the environment and then here hemp is supposed to be good for the animals and a good food source and 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 a good um a good cover, like there's so many, I don't know. Anyway. Well, absolutely.
1: I mean, so hemp is, you know, something that has the potential to really help us in an environment, like a, on a big scale environmentally, I think, um, you know, it's a bioaccumulator, so it can actually clean soils, you know, cleanse soils. Yeah. take the toxins out of the soil hmm But I mean, but that is a reason that it's really important to source if you're going yes, yes. to consume get, hemp to get it from clean sources, right? To get it from, you know, organic sources, because you don't want to consume all of those, you know, heavy metals that have been absorbed by the plant. So you want, you definitely want clean, clean cannabis, but, you know, as an industrial crop, hemp can help, you know, can help clean soils. It can help, um, Uh, You know, it it can provide a source for, as you mentioned, animal feed, for bioplastics, for textiles, for, um, you know, all kinds of industrial uses, um, there's a potential to use hemp for. And, you know, you mentioned the emperor wears no clothes, the emperor has no clothes by Jack Herrer a while ago, and, you know, he was saying that way back then, he was saying, You know there's so many ways we can use this plant that would be better for the environment than using timber or then you know, like the monoculture of soy, it's only chemicals that a yes. whole of clothes are made out of. Yes,
0: because that was we had a hemp business where we like made, oh. I, I like sewed backpacks and grocery sacks. Like, I'm just like, I get so frustrated when I go to like even was I at Walmart yesterday or Best Buy or uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. And every other corner I turn, here, get our hemp lotion and get this hemp thing here and get this hemp thing there. And I'm like, oh, my God, when I was trying to sell a hemp dog collar in 1995, everybody looked at me like I was insane or, you know, hemp grocery. Like now that, you know, in New York, you have to bring if you don't bring your own grocery bags you have to pay a quarter or nickel or something to get grocery bags so they're all into the recycled grocery bags and
1: yeah
0: yeah finally using their grocery bags and everybody's you know and it's just i'm so frustrated sometimes
1: yeah yeah i
0: know oh yeah and my mom's town also they have this huge on long island they have a huge water problem and what you were saying about it absorbs all the toxins because somebody was talking about wanting to grow their own in new york and my husband was saying well yeah but remember it sucks up those toxins so they you know either want to make sure the water that they're using or just be careful once they start growing on long island because we've been reading so much and researching about my mom's water like boiling her water and filtering her water because i guess they have a huge water problem
1: huh oh that's too bad yeah i mean you know the the environmental um you know discussion around cannabis is so interesting right now and and i think that that's another great uh argument for legalization is the environmental factor so prohibition years and years of cannabis being totally illegal drove it you know underground so to speak but that really meant you know indoors right and so cannabis was grown indoors, largely in the U.S. for years and you know for decades. Um, I mean, it, you know, it was grown outdoors in Northern California for sure, but you know, many of the really intensive and big grows were, were indoor, and it's so energy intensive to grow cannabis that way. Yes. You know, yes. Lights. Yes. And, you know, all all kinds of inputs of nutrients, all kinds of inputs of, you know, water, light, uh, fans, you know, ozone, various, you know, it's a really almost industrial operation. Whereas, you know, growing outdoors, which we call sun-grown, sun-grown cannabis, it's, you know, so much better for the environment. So fewer resources are involved in cultivating it and, you know, provides food for pollinators and is just, you know, can become part, a healthy part of an ecosystem.
0: I'm just nodding my head and nodding my head (laughs) to say nothing of like um one of the books that I was sent is by the people who um the Dr. Bonner Dr. Bronner's uh Castile soap that's been around forever and it's like one of he's not the founder but he does something for them and first they not only did they start adding hemp but they like have found some fair trade coconut oil and just different fair trade products. But they also started putting hemp in their uh, Dr. Bronner's uh, a few years back, like uh, in the early 2000s or early 2010s or something. I can't remember when, but yeah, they, I was reading in this magazine, they have like some sun grown certification label also that they're trying to get for organic cannabis going in california because of exactly what you're saying sun grown it's sun and earth certification or something because yeah Yeah, i was trying to get a a montana organic cannabis association started in january because i was getting so many phone calls about it and like that's something we're really passionate about is like seeing because i had talked to pub quinn who was one of the heads of the montana organic association and he said back in the 70s 80s when he's one of the big he's a big organic farmer he grows this thing called camu wheat which is a special type of wheat over in the east side and they were talking about how when they first wanted to get organic certification going because there wasn't any and when they didn't have an organic certification it was kind of like the wild west of organics and people were saying making all these claims oh this is organic oh this isn't they were like we want to make sure people are following a certain set of procedures so then when this montana legalized of recreational use i was like oh we should start on montana organic cannabis and like so i i i reached out to bob and he was like oh well you should reach out to the montana organic association and see if there's other people interested you know write a letter have them send it to their members and I never got the letter written, but I saw this post on Facebook and I was like, oh, hey, can you put a post on Facebook seeing if anybody's interested in starting a Montana Organic Cannabis Association with me? And the Montana Organic Association wrote back and they were like, well, since it's not legal for banking and it's not legal for this and our governor doesn't support it, we're staying out of it and we don't want anything to do with it. And no, we will not put a post up on our page asking if people want to start a montana organic cannabis association they did give be one oh. person's name to connect with but that person has not gone back to me so that's yeah, like that's exactly. a lot of people's attitude too like we don't want to have yes. anything to do with it there's this whole big banking thing which just yeah. i guess like and then there's always the case of the dea like wasn't that the big problem with obama like he said oh we're gonna back off and eric holder and they backed off and then they like did a whole role reversal and like well no now we are going to go back to prosecuting people like it's it's just i'm just really frustrated with all the like one minute you're you're legal under state law but you're not really legal under federal law and i remember like there was a case with like a native american group that was like growing hemp and then the uh, I even Googled it the other day to show my mom, and it's like in 2004 there were some Native Americans that had like a permit and they grew some down in I want to say Pueblo, Colorado, and then the DEA came in and took their whole crop in September and just was like, nope, you can't harvest this. Like you could do all that work, and it I don't think it's easy to grow. I I think there's all sorts of problems with it, and then the DEA can just say, Hey, we're, you know, and, and throw you in jail. Besides people are like, scared to go to jail. They're scared to call their Congress people and, and make like, you know, a, a case for it because, you know, who knows?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we're in a place culturally where more and more people I think are, you know, starting to speak up and starting to become advocates, but you're right. There's in the mainstream, there's still quite a reluctance to, you know, to touch cannabis. And, you know, some of that is, I mean, a a huge part of that is obviously the stigmas of, you know, long-time prohibition and really the anti-cannabis propaganda. It wasn't just, you know, casual stigma, but, you know, concerted anti-cannabis propaganda that was just part of our culture for a long time. You know, and then of course, obviously the, the federal illegality and the DEA's role, and, you know, largely the federal government has, you know, allowed states to make up, you know, make their policy and not gotten, you know, too involved. But it, but that's not always true. I mean, in the early days of California's medical um, legalization, California legalized in 1996, um, but, you know, in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s, there were constant raids on, you know, on medical facilities who were literally just providing, you know, compassionate care for people who were very sick. You know, just a lot of injustice has been done in the name of the drug war and you know anti-cannabis laws. But you know, but it's changing, and you know that there there is a a banking act that, um, if passed, it's called the Safe Act, Safe Banking Act, rather, and if passed um, federally. It it would loosen those restrictions so that banks would be able to you know do business with cannabis growers and processors and operators and there could just be a lot more freedom in the industry. Um, so you know it's going to be really interesting to see what happens first. Are we going to get the Safe Act? Are we going to get the More Act? Are we going to get anything? <laughs> oh, my fingers are crossed. So is there anything that we
0: didn't talk about that you wanted to mention today?
1: Let's see, Um, well, (laughs) since this is a gardening podcast, I can very briefly tell um, my funny um, attempted homestead story if you want. Oh yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) Okay, so um, this was about nine years ago. Yeah, about nine years ago, my husband and I left Washington DC with our two-year-old son And I was pregnant with my daughter at the time. And with my dad, along with my dad, we bought 36 acres in Northern Colorado um, at 7,000 feet (laughs) um, with a little house on it (laughs) and a lot of undeveloped land. (laughs) My husband was born in Colorado. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, so this was near Loveland, Colorado, but not really near. I wouldn't say near anything. It was, you know, at least forty-five minutes to the closest gas station. You know, up this really twisty mountain road, and we had all these big dreams. We were like, we are going to, you know, grow all our own food, and we're gonna have all the animals, and be, you know, mostly self-sufficient. And just go down the mountain once a week for, you know, a few supplies, and we're gonna. So, did you work- buy it sight unseen? No, we we had seen it, but you know, we had never lived in Colorado. We didn't know anything about seven thousand feet <laughs> gardening and to be honest we didn't know anything about gardening at all um my dad grew up in indiana in rural southern indiana and he grew up you know with a subsistence you know plot behind his house that he and his um his siblings tended so my dad absolutely had some experience but that was like 50 years previous um and i had never even grown a tomato on the balcony and a different type of (laughs) <laughs> From uh, 7,000 feet of
0: rocky in the Rocky Mountains. In
1: the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> so, you know, bad idea. Obviously, it didn't work out. We, you know, we went all in, but, you know, we failed pretty miserably. And, you know, also realized that. We needed a community around us if we were going to, you know, be successful at that. And there was really, you know, not a community up where we were um, of anyone trying to do something similar. Plus, you know, having a two-year-old and being pregnant wasn't really that convenient <laughs> for, you know, getting around and and getting down to the hospital. But you know, it was born out of this truly idealistic um, desire to, you know, t- to teach my kids how to be human, you know? I mean, I really think, I I truly feel connected to the earth as a human being. And I feel that, um, you know, to learn the skills of growing and, you know, cultivating and caring for the land and growing much of your own food, I feel like that's really important to me and intrinsic in some ways to to being human. And I wanted to teach my kids that, and I wanted them to have a non-commercial life. But I learned in that process that, Baby steps are are good, you know, incrementally build the skills, you know, I I can I can still get there one day. Um, And right now I am really loving the garden just the simple boxes that my daughter and I have outside and the things that we can grow in our little spot here in Boise. Um, So yeah, that's that's my story big, big try big fail learned a lot.
0: I have a lot of listeners in Boise. I guess you guys are growing like crazy. You're like one of the top like right like cities growing in the United States.
1: Yeah you know I mean this is only our second um, summer here. This will be our second summer here Um, and last summer was unusual as everyone knows. (laughs) So um, you know I'm still I'm learning a lot and I am still absolutely a beginner but I think that there are lots of opportunities to grow here. Um, and the things that did really well for us last year um, are, are peppers and herbs and raspberries. And this year, so far, our kale is doing amazing and our sap peas are, are growing up nice and happy. Um, it's just a really small, you know, little project we have going, but I get a lot of enjoyment from it.
0: what was your very first gardening experience like was it that homestead like like who were you with what what did you grow were you a oh, kid were you an adult
1: you know it, it besides house plants it was that homesteading experience you know and i think that i had a real thirst for it i had a real thirst for, it, but it always lived in cities where you know apartment living was the norm and you know, I just hadn't had the chance to cultivate those skills. And I, tr- I just, I truly wanted it so badly that I said, I'm gonna go all in all at once <laughs> instead of learn how to grow a few tomatoes on the balcony first, right? That would have been smart.
0: Well, you are not the first person to do that for sure.
1: I know, I know. And, and honestly, that's what got me started on my, you know, on my writing journey is I blogged while we were up there, um, blogged about our daily struggles a bit, and then decided to write a memoir about that fail, that failed experience. Um, I called it a Good Good Life, and it was. You know, I wrote a full-length memoir, tried to get it published, sent out tons of queries to agents, and in the process of 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 failing at homesteading and then failing to publish my memoir about homesteading. I learned, you know, the craft of of writing, you know, as a journalist and as a narrative storyteller. So that's kind of what got me started as a freelancer and led to this book. So circuitous path, but uh, I guess that's how life is sometimes.
0: Well, as Steve Jobs said, you never can connect the dots until the end of the story. So
1: yeah Something yeah like
0: that. i yeah. can't remember how his thing went but it's like it's easier to connect the dots at the end than it is looking forward so totally. i'm always i'm always saying that because my family's always like you're all over the place and you start this project and you don't and to me i i can see it and i always feel like because i'm like a watercolor artist and i you know one of the keys to watercolors is like letting a layer dry if you can let yep. it dry for 24 hours you know great if you can let it dry for a week even better you know putting things down let them marinate let them sit and then go back to them like i'm always good like i don't feel i am trying to be more of a finisher 2019 2020 i really finished a lot of projects and i'm working Like i have 13 children's books in various states of you know but i also feel wow. like an agent or an editor like if I submit the book and it's completely finished, they're gonna be like, Oh, you already did, you're not gonna to wanna to make any changes. Like, it's better to submit it before it's done because then they won't feel so much like, well, we want you to change this, we want you to change that, you've already done this, you're not gonna make any changes. So I think it's better to have it not quite finished, but my family's all like, oh, you should finish that and you should self-publish it. Well, for one thing, with children's books, I don't feel like Amazon. I, like I I'm good with the Amazon self-publishing some stuff but I don't think their quality of children's books they're there yet I don't think they that that's the place they're, they're paper they're just um and they and then my other problem is everything I paint seems to be horizontal and they don't have any horizontal options <laughs> I don't know and just uh I'm dreaming of getting a real publisher someday like I really want to win a Caldecott Um, medal for best artist and and I feel like I will get there and I just think you know every every step like I've been taking um, last summer I went to ghostwriter school and I am taking a copywriting course right now to become a better writer so I can write better blog posts and so I can write better emails and I'm working on this book called Rockstar Millennial about the guests that I've interviewed that are millennials that I, it is just falling so flat. Like I've uh-huh. written, I think I have the first 31 pages of the first few chapter, sample chapters. And I just, I can't bring them, me to submit them to the publisher. They so just, they just don't like when I interview the people, like the passion comes and when I talk about them, but then when I read it, so i want to give you a ton of kudos for writing your memoir and finishing it and submitting it. And, you know, it might not have been the right time in the right place. And maybe now that you have weed mom out, like how did you end up getting an agent for, and like, how did this come about?
1: Well, this came about um, after, you know, f- uh, several years of freelance writing and writing about cannabis and about parenting. And so developing, you know, my knowledge base on, on these things, um, you know, and, yeah because I had enough publications and I had a strong book proposal I submitted to a bunch of agents and and I got yeah I got some offers and ended up signing with somebody um, but that being said you know even with an agent I was not able to get a big 5 publisher to publish my book you know the publishing industry is very consolidated in the US and you know the big 5 are you know Penguin Random House and Simon and Schuster you know the big ones like that um, Macmillan um, I published with an indie and it's distributed by one of the major publishers so that's great but you know even even today even in you know 2020 when we inked the deal in January 2020 um, cannabis and parenting was a bit of an avant-garde subject or just a little too much for some of these mainstream publishers um, yeah so it's interesting and, and and I can I can give you some publishing advice if you'd like I mean we can do that offline but um, I'd say that generally for children's books there are agents that specialize in children's literature so you would only want to submit to those particular agents and um, you definitely do want to finish the project you want to finish it and polish it to the very absolute best of your ability and then they will have no problem telling you if they need if they want changes (laughs) The publishing industry is so competitive. It is so competitive that if they accept your stuff, it's only if it's your best finished top quality stuff. And then if they want you to change it, they'll tell you to change it. <laughs> so that's my advice then on looking for an agent.
0: I have heard that. I talked to uh, this one woman and she's like, I, um, I had to submit it to... Uh, what she do she had to like have it edited like she paid to have it edited then she submitted the agent ticket on but then they made her do it to an editor again and then finally they submitted it to a publishing house and got the contract it's like a book that's coming out in two years but like yeah she had to pay personally to have it and like I i have heard those things so yeah anyway congratulations on everything everybody you want to get a copy of weed mom the counter curious woman's guide to healthier relaxation happier parenting happier parenting and chilling tf out uh get one for you get one for a friend get one for a mother write a review post on instagram or amazon or your favorite book app or wherever um and just uh do you have like a website or do you where do you tell people to go to get a hold of you to follow you on instagram or where do you tell people to go
1: yeah yeah um I do have a website it's danielle simone brand my name.com um but also on instagram is really where I'm the most active like you said and that's just at danielle simone brand um and actually I wanted to add one thing if I may Jackie for of course your of listener, course which is that um you know I, I, I really believe that we're in a moment in the cannabis industry where consumers get to have uh, a big say in shaping what the future looks like. And you know if you care about organic gardening and small gardening and regenerative gardening and all that, you can make good decisions when you choose to consume cannabis when you choose to buy from a dispensary and actually look into the brands that you're buying and look into how are they growing their cannabis and you know how what kind of operation is it and you know other things you might care about like how do they treat their employees you know I mean just like you want to just like you care about where your food comes from and how you know that was grown and how the people who grew it were treated the same applies to cannabis it's an agricultural product you know at, at its root And so we have this ability to shape cannabis, you know, toward that small and craft and organic and regenerative space, instead of that big corporate indoor grown, heavy intensive, you know, energy intensive cannabis. So that's just my my hope that people who care about the environment and care about gardening will wanna look into that and make some, you know, informed decisions about the cannabis they choose to consume. And I'll step off my soapbox now.
0: (laughs) Oh, that was perfect. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Danielle. And just good luck with everything and just for being brave and speaking out and talking about this important topic that really, I think, touches more of us than we know. And just, I learned a lot today talking with you and I learned a ton reading your book. And I know that I'm going to go back in because it is like an encyclopedia and Um, as people ask me questions and as I learn more um, and as our world changes so thank you so much for putting it out there and sharing and your Instagram following you on Instagram I it's just fun and I I like to do and uh, thanks for everything
1: well thank you so much I had so much fun being on your show thank you for what you're doing educating people about you know growing this way well thanks all right well, have a great day. You too.
2: Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just... Um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just, um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey, uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis, um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for mother earth.